John, the NFL has joined the streaming wars. Live Golf continues to be in the news with Charles Barkley and now at former president Donald Trump's golf course. Uh, they don't seem to be going anywhere. Uh, and we have a pretty good guest to talk about it all. Yeah, speaking of Live, our big get is David Hill, who is advising Live on their TV productions. Uh, David, of course, ran Fox Sports for two decades and has been involved with producing just about every single sport, including darts. The double 12, and the nine dark king lands another one. And we're back. The Marshan Oran Sports Media Podcast. I'm Andrew Marshan, sports media columnist for New York Post. He's John Oran, the media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. John, great get today. Big get. David Hill, we already did the interview. You're going to hear in a little bit. Uh, very good on Live and also on the NFL. And uh, just some very interesting stuff from David. Such a good perspective, such an entertaining executive, one of the most entertaining executives I've ever covered. Also do want to give a quick shout out. That was Rod Studd of DAZN calling darts, which uh, there was a massive crowd in there. It's, it's worth a look if you, uh, if you want to find that clip on Twitter, like the, the crowd and the cheering. It's, uh, who would have thought for darts? Yeah, and that David Hill producing that, he, he was the one who told you years ago that darts could be a big thing. And according to you, very electric on TV. All right, let's go. Who's up? Who's down? Who's up? Who's down? Andrew, let me start this off here. Who's up? We're in the middle of Big Ten media days. Still no uh, media rights deal to talk about. But my who's up is Mark Silverman, Larry Jones. They're the Fox executives that are at the forefront of trying to sell the rights. And I can tell you, after uh, reporting this out last week, there is a frenzy of companies that want to get these rights. Uh, if, uh, Fox is going to keep a, a, a package of it. CBS wants it. ESPN really wants it. Amazon is out there uh, with a big bid. NBC, we'll see. They're sort of, they seem to be dropping off if we're doing the horse race of deals right now. But what this means for the Big Ten is a massive media rights deal. There continues to be a lot of interest among a lot of media companies in those rights. All right, my who's up is still with Fox, and it's Jason Benetti going to Fox Sports. He's going to be their number two college football play-by-player. He's going to do MLB. He's going to do college hoops. He leaves ESPN. I thought ESPN could have made uh, Jason Benetti their Sunday night play-by-player last year. Uh, they went with Carl Ravitch. There was a Book Shambi they could have gone with. Uh, and instead, Benetti leaves, 39 years old, um, has done real well with Peacock on their uh, national broadcasts on their Sunday morning games. Uh, and then he's the White Sox play-by-player. He won't do Peacock anymore. He still will be the White Sox play-by-player. Fox Sports has done a nice job of picking off young play-by-players. They got Joe Davis now, their number one uh, MLB play-by-player. Uh, in, in placing Joe Buck, and then he's going to be their number two uh, NFL play-by-player. Uh, and then uh, they have Adam Amin, who they brought in, who's also baseball, football. Um, and I could make the argument Amin uh, and Benetti might be better than Davis. So that's depth, and that's what you want. They're all in their 30s. Uh, so uh, they got a strong contingent. They lost Joe Buck, but they got a young, strong contingent of play-by-players. Well, let's go right into who's down. I know we're not the WWE pod, Andrew, but my who's down this week, it's got to be Vince McMahon. I mean, what a way to end a career. Um, McMahon resigned as WWE chairman amid a host of sexual misconduct claims. His duties were taken over by his daughter, Stephanie McMahon, her husband, Triple H, and former CAA agent Nick Khan. What I noticed was a WWE stock went up right after he announced his uh, resignation. And I think it's primarily on the idea that the company will be sold. And if it goes up for sale, there are going to be a ton of bidders. Uh, Comcast through NBC, it licensed WWE Network for $200 million a year. It pays, I think it's $270 million for Monday Night Raw. Fox has a $200 million a uh, year deal for, uh, for a Friday night um, uh, WWE. Uh, Endeavor already owns UFC. ESPN wouldn't be in there. We all know, we talk every week about how Amazon and Apple are circling and trying to pick up rights. Uh, so there's gonna be a lot of interest in there. But one thing is that even though he resigned, he's, uh, Vince McMahon 
still owns the majority of the shares and the majority of the voting shares. So any sale is still going to have to go through him. All right. My who is down is Bruce Springsteen. And Ooh. let me, there's, listen, there's Ooh. a lot of <laughs> I'm Bruce saying boo, not Bruce. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bruce Springsteen is my who's down. There are a lot of sports writers who listen to this podcast and just a moment for them. Um, just to give, give Bruce just a moment because Bruce Springsteen's prices for his concert are ridiculous. Ticketmaster has dynamic pricing uh, and uh, the tickets are thousands of dollars. Even, you know, the, the, the you know, like, terrible seats are in the 500 range. The concerts for Bruce Springsteen, of course, are going to be expensive and it's going to be um, something that, you know, especially this could be his last tour, possibly uh, they're going to be expensive, but they are ridiculous. I wonder if dynam dynamic pricing could become, you know, something that we see more in sports. And I think, look, it's, I get the argument for dynamic pricing. It's well, ticket scalpers are going to take it and they're going to go to the secondary market and they're going to make the extra money. But you, what you're doing is you're pricing out the regular fan because a lot of people would buy that ticket and even if they could resell it, they would not resell it for anything. And to make them so ridiculous, right? We already expect to pay ridiculous prices uh, for a Bruce Springsteen concert, but to make them so ridiculous in this manner, Bruce Springsteen is my who's down. And I feel for all the sports writers out there. And I like Bruce. I'm a big Bruce guy. Because yeah, as a sports I, I writer, you have to be. You have Poor to. Bruce, your down should be Ticketmaster. It should be Bruce. He's not. He, 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 can't, he can't do that. anything about that. He he has nothing to do with it. His hands are clean here. I, I you know what? I guess he has a little bit to do with it. But this is this is all Ticketmaster. Ticketmaster is the evil one here, not 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 necessarily Bruce. Well, you're always the one. Anytime I want to do an entity, you're like, make it a person, make it a person. It's better. It's better. <laughs> so there you go. The John Orion theory of making it a person. Then you just turn on me in public. You're always like, oh, make it but, a but there is yeah, like Bruce sings for the common man, right? Come on. Yeah, he does. Exactly. We might have to, yeah, maybe we can drop some sound here. A little Bruce in here. Yeah. It's about the common man. And now, you, yeah, common man. If you have, you know, $2,000 to spend uh, on a three, you know, four hour concert, come on, let's go, Bruce. Let's get right to the topics. Andrew, I've been dying to talk to you about this ever, ever since you had an exclusive interview with Charles Barkley, uh, which was exclusive, I guess, before he went to Dan Patrick, right? How long well, is that I was gonna say, you know, I wasn't gonna, I was gonna say it was exclusive until Barkley does his next interview. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, at the time it was exclusive. You held the exclusive for at least 24, you held the exclusive for at least 24 hours. So congratulations. Yeah. Uh, talk to him exclusively about Liv. Before you talk about what uh, Barkley's gonna do, uh, I know you hate to make predictions, but is he going to go to live or not? What do you think? Well, by the time people listen to it, they might, we might already know. Uh, I say my prediction is he does not go to live. Gets a huge raise from Turner and stays there and gets a big bump. I reported and he confirmed he makes 10 million a year from Turner. Uh, I think they already knew that they're going to have to pay him more in light of the Brady $375 million deal, in light of what Romo makes um, and Aikman, et cetera, uh, that you know, Barkley, the greatest studio analyst of all time at $10 million, even though it's a lot for what he does, um, still underpaid at this point. So they're going to have to give him a big raise. So I say he does not do it. But that, you know, I'm not a prediction guy. What do you got? Uh, you know, I thought he was going to do it, but you talked to him. So I, I, I like, I, I, oh, I'm no, I think he, I, he told me in an ideal world, he does both. I mean, that's what he said in an ideal world. But when he went on with, with Patrick, Dan Patrick, he said he makes about $10 million in endorsements. And so let's just say that's all correct. So it's a $20 million. Uh, he did tell me they got to really outdo that number if they want him. So as I think Charles Barkley would be great for Liv because he's willing to take on the people who say like the Liv tour shouldn't exist because of the Saudi Arabian money and their history of human rights violations, including, you know, allegedly, according to our government, of uh, killing a journalist. So he does, a, he's a good job of doing a spokesman. He's obviously great on television, uh, but at the end of the day, are they going to triple his salary? I know he said that on Dan Patrick. I don't think they're giving him 60 million. I mean, I'd be shocked. 60 million a year? Come on. They don't have a business case over there. I mean, they pay just to, to you know, to, to get- but If to you're paying him 60, like they're playing the golfers. I don't know how long their deals are, but they're like $200 million deals. So let's just say, I think they're probably four year deals. So they're probably getting like maybe 50 million a year. So you're going to pay the broadcaster more? I doubt it. Andrew, what I found to be most interesting about your story is uh, buried sort of uh, uh, toward the end of it, Barkley had a kitchen cabinet of bold-faced names, Mark Cuban, Michael Wilbon, uh, the Gumbles, Brian and Greg Gumble. 
who he talked to extensively about this. And from what you wrote, it appeared that all of them said, take the money, go after the money. Yeah, Ahmad Rashad was also in there. That was his, his fifth member of his contingent. Uh, yeah, I think that they actually said, take the meeting. They didn't necessarily said, take the money, but they said, you have to take this meeting. You have to see what they're going to say and go from there. And you know, Barkley's biggest point was um, that Live Golf and the people behind it, or I should really say the people behind the Saudi Arabians, that many companies do business um, with this group. Um, and it's only the golfers and athletes who are having to answer for it. And it's a big deal. Like we're taping this before uh, the Trump tournament, uh, you know, later this week. Uh, but I think that's going to be a big focus. There's already an ad out there from um, a group of 9-11 people who lost uh, family members and uh, friends during 9-11. Uh, and so who are saying, you're, you know, you're taking blood money, basically. Uh, and it's not worth it. You're turning your back on the country. And it's a pretty impactful ad. Um, and so when you look at that, I mean, th this one's, you know, this is 30 miles, the Bedminster course in New Jersey, uh, I think 30 miles from uh, ground zero. And there's Trump involved. So the juxtaposition of all this is is not, it's a terrible look. I mean, for uh, the golfers at live um, and anybody involved in it, it just doesn't look good um, when, when it's um, put that way. But, but, but Barkley's point is other people are taking the money. And um, as we had David Hill, who's going to be on later, he brought up that, you know, President Biden just met with the Saudi Arabian. So there is a, you know, what about this type of thing going on? You know, Barkley is, I, I can't think of another on-air personality in sports who's more universally liked than Barkley. Uh, and and he, he gets away with, with, with a lot. I mean, they, 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 he's almost like Teflon in terms of like, you know, being able to, he, he's just genuine and he's himself. If he makes this move to live golf, what will this do to his reputation, in your opinion? He's interesting because he's the one guy that might be able to keep his endorsements. You know, even in the story when I was talking to him and he was talking about selective outrage, he brought up Nike. Now, he didn't say why he brought up Nike, but we all know that, you know, they've been accused of uh, child using child labor. Uh, that has been going on for, you know, years and years. Uh, and, he, you know, how many people would talk about their own you know, endorsement deal, at, you know, in such a negative light, like he didn't go into detail. It wasn't the nature of the story. So I didn't go like, hey, what do you mean by that? Even though I knew what he meant. So he's different. And if he were to keep his sponsors, that kind of changes things. I do think the timing of where this tournament is this week um, and Barkley saying on Dan Patrick, he needs to leave there with an offer. Uh, I do think this one's a little, the timing is not great. You know what I mean? In terms of like, I don't know. It, you know, we, we, we talked about this earlier and you made a good point before the show. I mean, we don't want, we don't want to demean like the nine 11, you know, like this is like, to me, like you said this, so, you know, and, and I, I agreed with it. When we talk about selective outrage, well, it's outrage, right? Like maybe it is selective in some regards, but there, there, there still can be outrage. Even if it's yeah. selective, that doesn't mean that it's not, um, not warranted just because not everyone's getting it. Maybe that's not fair. And maybe, you know, they should be looking at these other uh, entities and companies and, and, and asking these same questions, but it doesn't mean the outrage is misplaced. I have to tell you, it, it makes me bristle to call it selective outrage because it's not a selective. It's very real outrage over very specific involvement, uh, the Saudi involvement in 9-11. Never forget, right? I mean, it's very real outrage over the brutal murder of a journalist, Jamal Khashoggi. I mean, uh, players and their executives who move, move over, they're going to continue to take hits over their reputation. I mean, this is not, don't equate this to buying an iPhone that happens to be made in China or buying, you know, a Nike sneaker that, uh, you know, it's, it's, this is totally different. It's, this is a, sports washing is real, Andrew. Yeah, and but they would argue that, you know, Newcastle and the Premier League is owned by the same group. You know, it's been going on all over the place. Again, that doesn't make it right, right? Just because this came into our, um, you know, part of the world, um, and it's kind of interesting because, you know, people look at sports writing and sports reporters, kind of the toy store, but just the nature of how things are covered, it's a little bit different than like corporate America can kind of sit behind. They don't have to do press conferences. They don't really have to answer questions as opposed to athletes um, where it's, uh, you know, basically the practice where athletes and people in, in, involved in sports outside of Jim Dolan, the garden. Um, yeah, it, yeah, they have to answer. They have to answer questions. 
and it is a toy toy store and that's why sports washing is, is such an effective strategy because you know people don't want to read about that in the sports page i mean how often do you hear about that we we've i think that's the first time we've ever gotten into a geopolitical thing we've been going on for about a year and it's uh you know it's well, a, only live yeah live's been the one that yeah. we've done and, and the one interesting thing also that came from that uh interview with barkley told me that he and Nor the norman thought that they're going to get a tv deal um and um barkley thought so too uh, Barkley could I, be I think so too and you think so too uh, eventually I do, next year. I do think like again we're doing this before this plays out this week I think this week I, I'm, I'm interested to see how this plays out because I think the focus is going to be a little bit more intense this week I think it's already played out I think that you look at some of the PGA Tour fields the, the, the PGA Tour field last weekend was as weak as I've as I've ever seen it like we're seeing big name golfers uh, move, move over. We're seeing more people like Barkley, like David Hill, talking about selective outrage and, and sort of, you know, talking about it in that sense. I, I am virtually certain they're going to end up with a deal, not a big money deal. It could even be a time buy, but they're going to end up with a deal where they're going to be on a traditional linear television network next year. Yeah, I, I probably see. I probably agree with you because, you know what, people move on to the next thing and they seem prepared just to keep moving forward and not looking back. John, let's move to the next topic. The NFL makes some news. NFL Plus. Uh, just first off, I think I know your take. But give me your take for everyone else. Well, it's hard to move to streaming after after just <laughs> talking about live like that. But you know what? I, my take is that I was very happy to write about this yesterday. I, I, I conducted interviews with uh, NFL executives, wrote a couple of stories, and there really is nothing new there. There's this is all on tablets and on mobile devices. You can you can you know spend five dollars a month and you can watch all your local games and all the national games. And if you spend ten dollars a month, you can see replays. This has all been uh, done before. But the reason that I wrote so much about it is not for what's happening in July 2022. It's what's going to happen potentially in July 2026. And this has the feel to me of launching NFL Network back in the early 2000s. I mean, the NFL is creating a place to where eventually it could put exclusive games on. And, you know, if they're not getting the bids on Thursday night football that they were expecting, it could be a place. It's not going to happen with Sunday ticket this year, certainly. But the next time Sunday ticket comes up, if Apple or Amazon, it looks like it's probably going to be Apple. But if, if they decide like, oh, boy, this is too rich and we don't want to do it again, the NFL could take it and put it on, on this platform. So this, to me, is not what it is today. It's what it's going to grow uh, grow to become. And I think that's what's uh, particularly interesting about the launch. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I do want to make it clear, like if you're in the New York market, for example, and you have the Fox Sports app, if you authenticate your cable, you'll be able to watch the games they're offering in NFL Plus. I mean, the NFL, they are the best at just reselling that same slice of pizza. And you, oh, you took a bite of it. Let me take it back. We're going to sell it to somebody else. And they just resell it. These games used to be on Yahoo, right? And then NFL, what was it, Game Pass or NFL Pass? Yeah, uh, Ver Verizon had the mobile right. They Verizon just gave up the mobile right. So I actually question how many uh, subscribers they got out of it and how, what the uh, viewership was on this because Verizon did yeah, it. I had Verizon. Like I used it a couple of times, but it wasn't like something that made me use their service, right? It's my cell phone working. Um, and you could get the games digitally even without it, right? If I had my app, you know, from. I think at that point, CBS and maybe now it's Paramount Plus. I'm not positive how that works. Um, you know, or Fox. Um, I'll be able to see the games anyway, and then the national games as well. So, yeah, I, it's it, this is a long term play, right? It gives them leverage. Number one, going down the road, if like they don't get the bids they want, that they could say, oh, we'll just take them in house. Let me ask you this: that we love projecting here, okay? Do you think one day uh, the NFL Plus? is the only way you can get digital games. No, I think no. that, I think that they, they are going to have that out there uh, as a way to entice, to, to get people to continue to bid. It's, it's an, another bidder and it's a viable option, but uh, there's too much money out there in the NFL that, I mean, one day being 20 years from now, maybe, I don't know, but in the foreseeable future, no, no chance. What about you? I want to know how Apple does selling subscriptions, but yeah, probably not. I'm probably with you. I'm probably with, that it stays with the, you know, the entities and they just kind of transform to where they need to and they spend a lot of money. I can see 
the odd one game or two games being exclusive to NFL plus, but any kind of significant package, I, I would be really surprised to see that happen. All right, let's move to Sunday ticket though. Cause this is my question. My next question, see what you think about this. Hey, do you think Apple could be involved in NFL plus because they had to announce NFL plus now because they needed it before the preseason. And obviously the Apple deal is not whatever the, the, the eyes aren't dotted and the T's aren't crossed, but could NFL plus be part of, you know, the Apple um, scenario, uh, you know, not that it's going to be a combined with Sunday ticket, but when you talk about NFL media and you know, what, what do you think of that? Cause I kind of think that, makes a lot of sense for NFL plus to somehow be teaming up with Apple or we think it's Apple, but if, you know, maybe Amazon, you know, with this service. Yeah. Maybe Google, maybe ESPN, but uh, all yeah. our sources are telling us that it's uh, that, that it's Apple. I think that if this was strictly a rights deal for a Sunday ticket, it would have been done by now. It would have been done months ago. I think what's complicating matters and what's holding up matters is that the NFL also is trying to tie in uh, partial ownership to NFL media. And, that, and so I think that that's all sort of moving forward. Whether or not NFL Plus will be part of that is still to be seen, but there are other aspects to it, like NFL Red Zone. What's going to happen with that? Because if you talk to DirecTV executives, they hated NFL Red Zone. They thought that it was taking subscribers away from them. A Dish Network, you know, it's the DirecTV's biggest competitor, was able to market that it had all NFL games because they, they carried the NFL Red Zone channel. Uh, and so like anybody that's going to be, invest potentially $2 billion in Sunday ticket will want some sort of control over NFL red zone as well. Um, so, so it, it is all getting tied in and would Apple be part of this? Yeah, I think that's entirely possible. It's going to be interesting. And you think NFL, and you think Apple, the charge will still be $300 if you want a Sunday ticket. You know, I, that's originally what I thought. Uh, I know that the contracts that uh, Fox and CBS have, demand that the uh, Sunday ticket uh, have a premium price attached to it. But if you look at the Roger Goodell's quotes, if you uh, read uh, uh, Brian Rolap, who's listening to this pod, thank you, Brian. If you read his- uh, Writer from NFL.com. His op-ed, they're talking about doing different things. Uh, and so would it be 300 or, or could it be, you know, could it be less? Could they sell by the game? I, I mean, that they, they have a- some of the comments coming out of the NFL suggest that it's going not, not going to be the exact same Sunday ticket that we see on DirecTV. And what that means, I, I have no clue right now. Let's go and hit a couple more topics, and then we're going to get to David Hill in a moment. Uh, the NFL booth is something we asked uh, David about, um, which booth he's most excited about you know, listening to and with all the moves, which one excited him the most you know, in terms of these huge moves. He's a huge announcer guy. As you'll listen, he thinks uh, announcers make the broadcast there. He thinks they're worth all the money they're getting paid. Um, which, one, which booth are you most excited to listen to? Or to hear, like, are you more intrigued by? You know, this is going to make you laugh, but Amazon, I, I'm dying to see, uh, first of all, Al Michaels is a legend. I'm dying to see what Herb Street is like going every single week because I think he's the best college analyst that's out there right now. Uh, will, will he be as good as an NFL analyst? And I think the idea that Amazon is coming in as the you know fourth or fifth broadcaster and already has a Hall of Fame booth just about is totally unique. And I just I, like those, we already know they're not gonna get big audiences. But the product, production is going to look and feel really big as you as you watch it. Okay, my one that I'm most intrigued about is Fox. Uh, Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson, they're going to end the year on February 11th in Glendale, Arizona, doing the Super Bowl. And to me, they're the ones that, you know, you, you mentioned Al and, and Kirk. I, I think we kind of know the level that's going to be at. Uh, Tariko did Monday night. So Tariko and Collinsworth, we kind of know the level that's going to be at. Um, you know, you look at um, what they have in Burkhart and Olsen. Um, it could be very good, um, but we don't know that yet. And they're going to be, to me, the most scrutinized and the most, you know, you have a question mark. And then you also have Tom Brady looming in the background of the whole year in terms of, you know, what's going to go on with Fox Sports. So to me, that's the most intriguing um, booth. Uh, but they're all going to be fun. I mean, it's 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 going to be very fun uh, year in terms of watching the games, and not only that, but really listening and seeing the productions. Uh, that's going to be fun. Before we move to David Hill, let's just do a little baseball midseason review. You were at the All Star Game uh, last week. Now you're back, 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 back. If you guys listen to last week's podcast, you get that reference. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, 
mid-season review. Give me overall what you found out, what you're thinking, and, and, and give me your, your views on where MLB is at right now. Overall, I, I think uh, ESPN shedding those midweek games that uh, drew uh, uh, low audiences has been really good for ESPN. The uh, Sunday night baseball uh, viewership wise is down a tick, but it's doing it's, it's doing particularly well. Uh, Fox with a new with a new booth. Joe Davis has been uh, uh, calling games, as we know. Um, those ratings are down pretty significantly. Uh, it, it's uh, full season wise. You know, it's sort of looking at, it's not looking particularly good for, for Fox in terms of ratings. It could be one of the lowest uh, viewed MLB seasons in, in its history. But for me, it's all about Peacock and, and Apple. And, and we've discussed this before. Peacock to me is, you know, NBC brings, you know, decades of sports production experience into Peacock. And you can tell as, as, as you watch it. Um, uh, and Apple, it's trying to do something different uh, Apple loves its telecast. They think that it attracts casual fans. Of course, we have no clue what the audience is. We have no clue who watches it. I do know that traditional baseball fans, who are the ones who are most likely to go and watch it on Apple, can't stand Apple's presentation uh, of it. Uh, Apple's like, they're not going to change. You know, you're going to see little bits in here where, where, where they change, uh, little nibbles at the edges, but they like the idea of a different type of telecast that goes after casual fans. So it's, it looks like that type of telecast is gonna be around to stay. I get it. Like, I, I don't think you need to go Costas and Jim Cott, right? Like, you know, old tried and true, right? Legendary announcers you know, have done it for a long time. So you can do something new. I don't know. I, I think that from what I understand in entertainment, they were a little bit slow to understand entertainment uh, when they, you know, Apple plus in their programming. I just think they're a little slow to understand that. I don't know if we, we can't see their numbers. So I don't know, you know, maybe, maybe they're telling the truth, but I, most of the time I would think it's fans of the teams playing up. My game, my team is not on the regular channel, regular or, you know, RSN. And so now I got to find on Apple and then you go there, your regular announcers aren't there and it's a different broadcast. Um, I can't imagine that really going over too well with most people, casual fans or not um, something different. Okay. Uh, but you know, it's only been okay, in my opinion. You know, I like, again, we, we've talked about this. I like Amazon strategy with the Yankees. You know, you got 21 games. They're on Fridays. It's your regular announcers. And it's just, there's more of a bond there. I just feel like these other broadcasts, you know, the Peacock one, I like that strategy. The Apple one, I just don't really, don't think that really makes much sense. People, like you just said earlier, they weren't watching really on Monday and Wednesdays on ESPN. How many people do you think are really watching on Apple TV on a Friday night? Um, you know, it's, that's, it's, that's a hard sell for that to really, to really be resonating. I, I tend to doubt that's, uh, doing particularly well. Andrew, I'm so excited by our, uh, big get this week, legendary producer and executive in the business, David Hill. David has spent 22 years at Fox, launched the NFL on Fox, did the World Series, Stanley Cup, BCS championships. I'm sure I'm missing, uh, leaving out a couple of things. Uh, 2015, David started his own production company and produced everything from the Oscars and darts. Darts productions are amazing, by the way. Uh, to Formula One, Live Golf. Uh, David, I know you don't do podcasts or interviews a lot these days, so we're very fortunate for your momentary lapse in judgment. Uh, th thanks for joining us. Hey, uh, listen, you're making me feel very much at home. You happen to have behind you a map of the London Underground. I do, in, in fact, yes. I lived I, in I, London I, in the late 90s and my daughter spent a year there at the London School of Economics. Well, I, it's, it's, the traffic's getting so bad in London that the only way to get around town is the underground. So I'm very, very familiar with that map. Uh, so where are you right now on that map? Uh, I am between, immediately between actually Notting Hill Station and Kensington High Street. Uh, our house in London is just right between the two. Oh, great. Well, uh, David, I want to get started with the, 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 the story that is making all the headlines of the most clicks that we get at Sports Business Journal every time I write about Live Golf. Uh, you are doing the productions, TV productions for Live Golf. No, 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 no. I'm helping. I'm helping Will Steger and James Watson. And I got involved at the get-go. Greg rang up and said, well, could I give him a hand? I said, sure. 
And so I've been working with Will and with James, and what I tried to do was create a framework for them to, to work in. What are you trying to accomplish with Live? Like, like how- make, make golf interesting. And how do you do that? Well, <laughs> how long do we have? How many days will we take, John, to explain? We'll, we'll keep you on for a full hour if you'll have us, David. Okay, here's, here's, here's the horrendous truth about golf. The last figures I saw of golf tournament, I think it was the international, 50% of the audience, the television audience, was 65 plus. 50% was 65 plus, which means they're dead in 20 years. 78% uh, was 50 plus. 78% was 50 plus. So what does that tell you about what golf means to people on television? The audience is dying. So uh, Greg's come up with a great idea with the, the shotgun start and the fact that it's, it's compressed into four or five hours. And so that um, uh, the, the telecasts of necessity will move like a greased weasel and it will be fascinating, interesting, and fun. So how do you get uh, younger? Is it, is it just a matter of timing, make it shorter and-, and, and one, of, one of the interesting things, I haven't been to the two tournaments that have been played thus far, but apparently, uh, according to the guys who were there, um, that uh, one was in London, one I think was in Portland, um, was that the, the, uh, the people turning up were like uh, 35 and under. So it's, it, it's, it's fresh, it's new, it's different. Um, and uh, and there we go. Simple as that. Andrew had a, a broken story last week about Charles Barkley. Uh, looking at Liv, you, uh, Liv hired David Faraday. How are you approaching on-air talent as uh, in terms of uh, uh, basically what they bring to the Live Golf telecast? It's interesting, actually, that our very first meeting uh, when we started discussing the philosophy of the telecast was immediately after I'd just come back from John Madden's funeral, um, that, that what it reinforced uh, at a very sad moment um, was that the importance of announcers. Uh, I've always claimed with the great announcers that you could cover anything with one camera and it would look good. The announcer is the key because sport's all about human beings to human beings and the announcer does that. There, there are a few great announcers, there's a lot of good ones and there's an equal number of bad ones. So um, what we're doing with Live Golf is that we have Ebor e e White, and uh, this is going to sound weird, but you probably know him best as the uh, soccer commentator in uh, uh, Ted Lasso. And we're uh, thrilled to get David Faherty because David actually injects fun into the commentary. And, we're, and uh, Will and uh, James are looking at some other guys to add to it. So it's it's the commentary team that does it. It's like you've seen you've you've seen the kind of the, the arms race with great announcers, with Joe and with Troy and and what's that. They are the most important part of any producer's weather. How good your announcers are. That's simple. And David, when you look at Barkley, he met with Greg Norman uh, last week. Um, what do you, what do you, how do you see using Barkley? What would, would be I your advice? I don't. I, I have no idea what what uh, what what Charles and Greg talked about. I'm here in London. I'm working for Formula One. I have no idea. Okay. Well, but, uh, but you must admit. I think you must admit that Charles just might bring something to the commentary. A hundred percent. Well, you it's know, not, what, it's not going to be. Here we are. On the floor. The puppy white cloud. I think Charles might bring a little bit more. If who knows? But David, it's still golf. What more can you bring? Like I like like I I'm I'm the world's worst golfer. Actually, I played uh, St Andrews about 18 years ago, and there was a special, very emotional award at the end of my round. And they all came out and and they gave me this little thing, and they said, you know, you found more bunkers and gorse bushes than anyone else <laughs> who's played in the entire 150 years. And, and what was worse, I had this caddy and I kept saying, why are you looking at your watch? He said, Mr. Hill, it's a compass. <laughs> so, so David, I did talk to Barkley last week and he told me that, you know, when he met, they met at an Italian restaurant in Atlanta, he and uh, Greg Norman, and 
he's like Greg thought they're going to get a TV deal. So my, my question is two parts. because I think you have a unique perspective. I don't know. I don't know. I'm helping with the, the, the production distribution. I've got nothing to do with. True. But, like, but you, but do- I would imagine. Yes. If I was a betting man, which I am, that I would imagine that a network would probably look at this and say, this is really cool. This is different. This might just appeal to people under 95. I might just put this on my schedule. Now, that is hypothesis. Yeah, but you were on that side, right? If you were, we go back, whatever it was, 15, 20 years ago. 100 years ago. When the earth was cooling, Andrew, when the earth was cooling. Exactly. Europe was cool and you were, you know, making decisions. So you're part of it. Obviously, the Saudi Arabian money has become a big story because of their um, human rights violation and killing of a journalist. Was this the same people that President Biden met with the other day? It is. Oh, right. Gotcha. Is this the same group that the UK government is selling arms to? I don't know that, but I trust well, I guess, you've I done guess your research, are. yes. So, so the President of the United States goes to meet them. He did. Right. So, well, I guess, look, I'm not saying this is, the, the counter argument is people are taking a direct check from, from these people, and that's different. Um, but, but I guess my question is more of a TV question, though, for you. The, the, when you're an executive at a network, is, is that a factor into what you're doing? Or the reasons that you just outlined, you say, you know what? Other people are doing business um, with these folks, and it's okay for us to do business as well. Yeah, I, I, Andrew, I don't fully understand the question. Well, if you were at Fox Sports or Turner or one of these places, would you advise that this is an issue that we have to be concerned about in terms of the controversy? Well, let me let me put it to you this way. Um, I work for Formula One, Formula One races in the kingdom. So you basically, this was Charles' point, it's hypocritical that we have selective outrage here. Really? Now, that's a really good way of putting it. That's what, yeah, that's why Charles also, I mean, in terms of making the points, he's, he says what he thinks. You know, a lot of the golfers didn't really have great answers when they first joined and they were asked about these things, which I thought was a little bit surprising in terms of uh, their answers. Um, but, but so you think, though, you don't know, but you, you're, you're, the other thing about a TV deal, it seems to me it wouldn't be, you know, obviously these aren't going to be NFL type billion dollar deals. This is a new entity. This is to get on the air to, for you guys to get distribution. Um, and for the networks, it gives them more programming, which something is new and has a lot of big names now. And might just be cool. Yeah. And might just revolutionize golf and might just get people back to watching golf. There's two things you got to worry about in the sport. And there's two graphs. Graph A is ratings over the decade. Now, how well have the broadcasters been handling that sport? Now, if that rating is dropping, the other rating you look at is what is a demographic? Am I maintaining my demographic, which traditionally has been in sports between the ages of 38 and 41? And when you look at the demographics of golf, which are going sky high, and when you look at the ratings of golf that are going down, wouldn't you think that something new, fresh, and interesting might revitalize the nation's interest in the sport on television. Look, I don't think there's any doubt that golf needs a change. Like, you know, I, I do think for those of us who don't follow golf as closely as others, it's like, it's jaw-dropping that the last golfer in a, you know, guy, somebody who doesn't make the cut makes no money in the PGA. I mean, that's just, to me, that's crazy how that's even possible. I'll tell you the group that golf on television is really, really good for. Insomniacs. <laughs> David, I, I want to pivot uh, away from live and, uh, and talk about F1, uh, uh, which you've been doing since uh, 2015, I believe, right? Or 2017. Yeah, um... I came in when uh, I've been producing, I think I produced my first Formula One race in Australia back in 85, 86. Uh, and I've, I've loved the sport ever since. It was, uh, it, it's, it's always been something that's appealed to me. And when um, uh, CBC uh, uh, sold their interest in golf to Liberty and Liberty uh, very, very wisely chose Chase Carey as the CEO 
And Chase called and said, listen, would you give us a hand and uh, uh, fix the television coverage? And I said, love to. So I think that, I don't know, maybe five years ago now. Formula One, David, just went from uh, a TV, US TV deal of $5 million a year to somewhere between 75 and $90 million a year. What have you done with the uh, production to, to I, I'm not giving you full credit for it, David, but what have you done with the production to sort of help popularize it, the sport? It, 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 it was, my, my part of it was part of the overall deal and the credit all goes to Chase Carey. Chase, when he came in, knew he had to do five things. He had to stop the arms race because you had three teams, Ferrari, Mercedes and Red Bull, who were spending in, in, in excess of 500, 600 million dollars or pounds a year. <clears throat> He had, to, he, he, he had to put a salary cap on, which everyone said was totally impossible. Chase managed to do that. The second thing was the cars were over-engineered. Um, and so he hired Ross Braun, who was kind of like a god in Formula One. And Ross hired all these aerodynamicists to redesign the car. What was happening, the, over, the overly-engineered car was putting up this, this wall of air behind it. So passing was very, very difficult. And so that Ross Braun's guys came in and, and working with the FIA, redesigned the car. So you see three wide and four wide racing that has never happened in, in F1. Three, the, the, the next thing that Chase had to do was, was energize uh, social media that Bernie Eccleston had refused because he wasn't getting paid. And so that Chase invested heavily in the digital side and, and then uh, encouraged the teams to, to, uh, to, to use social media to promote their drivers. Uh, the other thing was to promote interest in the United States, um, and so Chase started two new races: one in um, one in uh, uh, Miami, the other in Vegas. So now there's five races in North America: Montreal, uh, Austin, uh, Vegas, Miami, and now Mexico City. Uh, and at the same time, he signed the deal with uh, with Netflix for Drive to Survive. Now, a documentary series per se is not going to get you anywhere. But when it's made by, in my opinion, the best documentarian in the world, James Gay Reese, who made uh, the Oscar winning in 2016, uh, Amy Winehouse documentary, did the Ed and Senna documentary. And James was able to take something that was mechanical and mathematical and turn it into a soap opera. So he engendered this huge interest in, um, uh, in, in, in the United States. I was brought in to fix the television. The television was all over the place. There is a wonderful English phrase, a shambolic holics, which is what it was. Um, it, there was a bit of rearrangement and took a while, but now I think it's, it's rocking and rolling. And, and we had a really good day yesterday in France, uh, which, which normally is a really tedious race because the track's dreadful. It, it, it's not dreadful, it's just boring. Um, and then finally, he had to find a new CEO to run it. And, he did a worldwide search, this is what Chase did, and came up with Stefano Domenicali, who is like not only a live wire, but he ran the Ferrari team till 2014, and then he became CEO at Lamborghini. So what Chase did in five years was take a sport that was moribund and on the way down and dying and revitalize it and energize it. And so all these parts came together, and there you go. Give me that British word again. What was it? The British Shambolic phrase? I, it's, it's a, a it's a total sham. I tell you, Gov, it's a total shambolic holics. <laughs> we thought so, we, we spoke English, John. Uh, Apparently, we don't speak English. No, Separated no, no. by a common language. My yes. wife, my, my wife is American. As you know, I'm an Australian out of London. And the first two years of our relationship was, pardon me, pardon me, pardon me. She ended up finding a book that had uh, British English and American English, and it was how two cultures separated by a single language yeah, that's great uh, look i want to move to the nfl and we know you 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 already said what you think of announcers how important they are to broadcast when you look at all the nfl movement uh with troy and with joe going to espn tom brady in the on deck circle for fox um uh, you look at mike tarico replacing al michaels michaels going to amazon with kirk herbstreet um on the new thursday night package if you're David Hill, which move do you like the most? I'm not saying, I know you probably, I think I, from talking to you earlier a couple of months ago, I think you probably like them all, but which one do you like the most? It's very tough for me to grade them. I, 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 like a lot of personal friends and I, I admire and respect them all. Um, 
uh, I think I've, I've always been a big Tariko fan, Mike, ever since he started at, at ESPN. I've, I've thought he's, he, Mike's got this, this, this wonderful quality about him, and I think he's going to do really, really well moving into, into our spot. Um, Joe and Troy, I love, um, I kind of like, they're like family uh, for me. Um, but, but I think the interesting move is, is Tom Brady. I think that um, Tony, Tony Romo came, like, came out of a box and, and he was fabulous. Um, but with Tom, you've got this remarkable history and that, that we call it corporate knowledge. And he's seen virtually everything, he's experienced everything, smart as hell. And I think that when he moves in, that that's going to have the greatest impact. You know, everyone says uh, that that uh, people watch the game and the announcers don't, don't matter, but they do. I'll never forget John and I, John Madden and I, used to have long conversations about the philosophy behind announcing and broadcasting and, and, and what you did and how you did it. And and John came up with the greatest greatest line, which typical, and he said, you know what? What we commentators do is we tell them what they're seeing, but not seeing. And that sums up what the great announcers do, that us mere mortals can look at the screen and see an action. But it's like, like I've, been, I've been so lucky in my life to work with some of the greats, Tim McCarver in baseball, who I think was just absolutely magic and superb. And to me, the great combination was was him and Joe, which was him and uh, Joe and Tim, to, to me was perfect. Murray Walker doing Formula One, John Madden doing football, Richie Benno doing cricket. And, and it, it's been my honor and privilege to work with these, 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 these greats that, that took a sport and just catapulted it into an, a, another arena. So to me, it, it doesn't matter. You know who the beneficiary of all this is? It's the public and the National Football League. David, you just ran through a bunch of sports that, that you've personally worked on. What's your favorite? What's your favorite to do? American football. Um, I, 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 I came to it, um, I came to it as, as, as uh, Sean McDonough, Sean McDonough's dad actually in Boston said, Hill doesn't know if a football's puffed or stuffed. And I said, yeah, he's absolutely right. I, um, but, but the more I came to understand and the more, and, and it was talking to, to Jimmy Johnson, talking like long conversations with, with Howie Long, with, 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 you know, Terry Bradshaw, um, and, and what went into a game. And to me, it became a, a violent 3D chess match. And it's like that, that watching a great game of pro football to me is, the precision and the athleticism and the commitment is, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Not to say it's great being in England because I can turn on the TV and watch cricket, which I can't see in Los Angeles. The, are, are you a one day cricketer or the full test match? I like the whole lot. I, I, it's like, this is something that, 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 um, that all you guys have. You gotta watch a game that goes five days and can end in a draw. I said some of the most exciting sports I've ever produced was a five-day test match that ended in a draw. So there you go. <laughs> Andrew, one of one of the reasons that I have so enjoyed covering David over over my career is that he uh, he's made sports fun. Yeah, I mean, you so many innovations. I mean, the glowing puck was a, just a fabulous innovation. Just uh, again, it didn't last long, but it was- Yeah, because, no, John, the reason it didn't last long, during the glowing puck that all the Canadians wanted to string me up, it was, hockey had its highest rating ever. And then we lost the contract. The contract went to ESPN and ESPN didn't invest the money that Fox did in the sport. But had the sport, had, had hockey stayed with the sport, I guarantee you the ratings would be two to three times what it is now. If you can't see the principal object, why watch? David, your name is associated with so many things like that. What's your favorite innovation that, that you oversaw coming out? The, the, well, it was, it was the, um, the, the score and time in the corner. 
that is now ubiquitous. And I noticed that you did not call it the Fox box. Should we call it no, the I, Fox? I, my, I, my family wants it called the Hill box. Um, <laughs> because I started it, I started, actually, it was in this very flat um, where, where I dreamed it up that I'd been walking the dogs and I came back in. This is when I was, we were starting, I was running Sky Sports. And, um, and I turned on a football match that Chelsea was playing. It was on the BBC. And I'm sitting there watching for 20 minutes and I suddenly realized I didn't know what the score was. I thought, God, if I was down at Stanford Bridge, I'd just look across, there'll be the score on the time. And then, boom, oh, if I get soccer, I'll just put a little Chiron, which character generate up in the corner. So we got soccer and we started the EPL and I started doing it. My boss rang me up. So that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen, take it down. And I said, gotcha, sure, done. And so I, I just kept doing it. And then when I went to the States, uh, I thought, well, it's going to work. So I did it and we, we, we did a, a preseason game up in uh, Candlestick Park. And John went on about it. Well, you can look at this, you can put your turkey in and then come back out and know exactly what's what. And I got five death threats. I had five very well-written letters uh, saying you're a foreigner, you're screwing with football and we're going to kill you. And so I had a meeting with the uh, LAPD threat squad and a couple of FBI agents who said, we're taking it seriously. And I said, really? Really? And he said, yeah. And I said, why are this? Well, there's no spelling mistakes. From that moment on, I watched every spelling bee I couldn't say, is that a potential assassin? <laughs> what, <laughs> so, so what they offered me was, a, was a, a kind of a license to carry a gun. And I figured that I was quite happy with 10 toes. I didn't want to lose any, so I hooked that up. And if they're still looking for me, I've just moved to London. So there you go. I'll, you missed your opportunity. So it was, to me, it was, it was that idea about putting the score and the time up there that uh, the American press ridiculed. Uh, Rudy Martsky from the USA Today ridiculed. Uh, my fellow executives ridiculed. No one's gonna watch it. They know what the score is. Okay. Um, and now it's ubiquitous. I don't think I would have ridiculed it. If I was writing, what year was that? 94? Yeah, so I was like in college. I think I thought it was a good idea, David. I gotta be yeah, I was, I I was a youngster. Right I, 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 I don't those. think I would have thought, I mean, obviously it's in hindsight, it seems obvious such a great idea, but those are the best ones. The ones that uh, become ubiquitous and just are sort of a part of, uh, you know, what you expect in a broadcast. So, but uh, yeah, I don't know what they were thinking though. Cause I, I, I mean, obviously it's a, it was a great idea, but why wouldn't you want to know the most important information at all times? It just makes perfect and, sense. Andrew, thank you. Yes, that's exactly what it was. Um, the, the glowing puck led to everything we did, the, 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 the brilliant Stan Honey, who was the brains and the genius behind all that. And so we we're able in 2000 to put GPSs in NASCARs. And so we could tag them and we tracked in three-dimensional space um, and so that, that NASCAR was the first automotive series where cars were tagged, speed, laps, all the other stuff came true. But I think that, again, it was Stan Honey, who was a genius who, who, who understood it, was the first down line for the NFL. Um, and Commissioner Tagliabue said that, that he believed that that had done more to explain the game to people around the world uh, than anything else. So I'm, I'm stoked with that, too. The other thing is red zone. But... Now this is this Eric Shanks and I uh, came up with this, and and we, like that is really proud of that. Yeah, that is good. that's a great one, right? That one started in Europe first, right? With the, they did it in no, that, no, 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 no. It, oh. it was on radio. It was on okay. RAI, RAI, and Eric was across setting up uh, or helping set up Sky, uh, the, the sports division of Sky Italia, and and actually he was so beloved by the Italian staff that when he came back to the states. They pulled together and bought him a Ducati. And he's walked in and said, look at this. They've given me a Ducati. I said, they might want you to really injure yourself. <laughs> All right. And, then uh, and so we were both working at DirecTV then. And so we away we went. My last one, the, the one I don't like that's been innovated recently is they put the probability of someone winning or probability of someone getting a hit. And I think that is counterintuitive to what you invented when you put the score it's like we we're watching to find out right and it doesn't the probability 
what's the difference if it's 60%, let's say 40% that he's going to get a hit? Like, who cares? Let's watch what happens. I think that is just cluttering up the screen in my, and I, it's not even like, it doesn't tell you anything. He's either going to get a hit or not. I mean, yeah, there's a better chance. Or, I think, so what's your opinion on that one? Well, it's, it, I, I don't know what, what, what that is because I haven't seen it, but what we're doing in Formula One is we can mathematically predict when a car can overtake. So, so that we put up graphics that say like the attack that's happening um, and, and you had it yesterday with, with uh, there's, there's a couple of big chases and say like four laps that he's going to take him or be in an attacking position. So I think that's in, in Formula One, in, in auto racing, I think that's fair enough. The, the other thing, probability, whatever. Maybe people might be gambling on it, Andrew. Yes, 100%. 100%. It <laughs> has to do with gambling, Here of course. Here's the thought. Here's the thought. Uh, that does have to do with gambling. Andrew, I do have one question. So David Hill is talking to us from his flat in London where you're breaking heat records and you're drinking hot tea. Didn't Americans teach you anything, David? Why on earth would you be drinking hot tea? It's, uh, it's actually, the, the, my, my flat is occupied by my daughter, um, Annie Hill, who is NBC News's digital European editor. And she invested in fans. We don't have air conditioning here. And, and uh, I, I told her what a great idea it was because fans move hot air from one side of the room to the other. It's fabulous. <laughs> Uh, oh. cheers to you david thank you very much cheers. for joining us uh, all right guys andrew i think uh you know anybody that's going to live should uh listen to this interview because i think david hill basically laid out a roadmap for how you should answer the questions of people going going to live I, i've said already we both said you know i disagree it's not selective outrage it's very real outrage but i think that the way that david handled it if you're not going to say i look i just want the money then that's a way to that that's a way to go and just sort of to look elsewhere and point point at other things to say like look we're okay because they're doing that john yeah i agree with you um i think the outrage is real and there's questions to answer uh what happens with barkley uh he'd be great for live um that's going to be very interesting to see what happens with his contracts um i think ultimately he's definitely staying at turner i'd be shocked if somehow he's leaving turner um and I thought what David Hill on a different subject said about the announcers. Um, he said they are as important. They deserve this money that they make it. They make the broadcast. Um, I don't think I'm as extreme as he is, but I do. I've all, I do think they really complement it. And I think they, they do make a difference. They tell the stories um, in a way that can make it engaging. Kind of like what we try to do in media. I mean, we try to make it so you're interested in stuff that maybe you're not as interested in, right? Like I, I am more interested in Sinclair after talking to you for these months and months than I ever was before. So that's an interesting story. Somebody told me they're definitely going bankrupt the other day. <laughs> Somebody told me that they're definitely going, by the way. Um, so uh, who's in the know? But we'll see. Your, your, your guys at Sinclair, maybe they'll uh, rally. But uh, bottom line, I think that, uh, um, you know, live and where it goes and if they get a TV deal is going to be one of the more interesting stories that we have going forward. All right. Well, it's time for us to go to our call of the week. Call of the week. Andrew, Sidney McLaughlin broke the world record in the 400-meter hurdles at the World Athletics Championships in Oregon. Here's Lee Diffie on the call for NBC. Remember what Addo told wow. you about the world record, how it just continually keeps getting broken. Sidney McLaughlin has left them behind. Femke Bowl comes on the inside of Dalila Muhammad now. Please watch the clock. The world record is 51 41. Sydney McLaughlin, the 22 year old American, there is no stopping her. 50.6. It's a world record. Sydney McLaughlin has just smashed her own record. This is why I like that call, Andrew. He got me early in the race focused on the world record and what that number was. His excitement level grew as a race went. It was a totally appropriate excitement level. And I just thought that he really matched what was an incredible race. Okay. Well, I agree with you. Great call there. But this is what I wanted for call of the week. And John shot it down at right. Lindsay Adler from The <laughs> Athletic. She was at Camden Yards last week or so. Um, and she tweeted out, Aroldis Chapman allowed a three-run home run to Anthony Santander to bring this game. Santander. To Santander. Your Baltimore accent is, come on. I don't know. Santander. All right. 
um, to bring this game to 7-6 Yankees. A middle-aged man in front of the press box in an Oriole bucket hat is flipping the bird in parentheses, not the mascot, at nearby Yankee fans. John, is that was that you? I first of all, Lindsay, in Baltimore, they're floppy hats. They're not bucket hats. Come on. They're, I mean, geez. This is uh, about Lindsay Adler. This is a good tweet from Lindsay Adler. This is about John Orman. Was it you with a floppy hat on? We'll get that right. Floppy hat flipping the bird. Were you flopping and flipping? Here's here's how I'll answer that. I, I'll answer that like one one of the exact games. You're trying to pin me down now. It could have been. <laughs> I had that kind of excitement. I had that kind of excitement going as I as I was watching that home run. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Lindsay Adler, if you're listening, next time we need pictures because we need to see if this looked like John Oren. Uh, all right, that's gonna do it. We want to thank David Hill um, for joining us. Uh, hope you enjoyed that interview. We did enjoy. Uh, talking with David. He's always entertaining. He does impersonation, the Barkley impersonation, or not the, the golf, not the, the not Barkley impersonation of a quiet golf. And I'm sure everyone listening was like, did my, is this thing? Yeah, it went 30 seconds. It went dead silent just about. Tremendous. I loved it. I got to keep that whole thing in there. So that was good. And then talking with you as always is great. I'm going to see you next week. If you can rate, review, and subscribe, that is helpful and appreciated. Yeah. Thanks for listening.